Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. This is what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the word of God this morning right from the very beginning of the Bible. I'd like to invite you to bow and pray with me and ask for God's blessing. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we know that you exist before all time, You are from everlasting to everlasting, as Psalm 90 says. And yet, you created the world and you created us in your likeness. And we are here today to learn truth about who you are and what you've done. So I pray that you'll be with Pastor Mike. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, who was hovering upon the waters at the beginning of the world. May he be hovering over the waters of our heart, preparing them for the Word of God. And may the Word of God be powerful and do the work that you've sent it to do today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Glenn, for leading us in worship. And welcome to Encounter. We're glad that you're here with us. It was the summer of 1961, and Vince Lombardi uh, started the camp by holding something that needed no explanation whatsoever. It was a football. And he said, gentlemen, this is a football. In five words, he communicated his point. If you want to be successful, we're going to remember the basics and and make sure that we're executing the fundamentals. Uh, Today, we're starting a brand new series. I'm going to throw this to somebody in the audience. Oh, Milt. All right. Hey, good catch, Milt. All right. Uh, Today, we're starting a brand new series called What We Believe. We're going to be teaching you the essential doctrines of the Christian faith and and really uh, really get down to to why that really matters to our beliefs. We're going to be, we're doing this because in Titus 1, Paul says that we are to teach in accordance to sound doctrine. If you have uh, been in the 101 or the 201 class, this series will build upon that content. And and we're going to make this teaching series available with some curriculum uh, for the future for people who come and and, and call this church home. They can go through this. So we're going to be spending 13 weeks following the storyline of the Bible, looking at the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And today we begin our study on what we believe, not with what God has done, but who God is. Because it's for the simple reason that before God did anything, he was. He existed. So we're going to consider who God is as he revealed himself in Scripture as the one true living triune God. Uh, Church Father Augustine says, if you deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. And if you try to explain it, you'll lose your mind. 
<laughs> and uh, so my hope today is to avoid both pitfalls and do a good job teaching you this morning. I'll start by telling you that our world is filled with Christians and non-Christians who share very intriguing, deep longings, that people want and need to be loved. People want and need relationships, and people want and need communication. Uh, much of our techno technological advancement in our day uh, is trying to create portals by which people can, be, can speak and be spoken to. Uh, everything from cell phones to text messages to emails to blogs to apps to the internet is an example of this passionate, deep desire for communication. There's also a deep desire for peace. Uh, there, there's a deep desire for unity within diversity among races and genders and classes and cultures and nations. All of these deep longings are rooted in the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God, something that we'll explain in greater detail in the coming weeks. But, but let me begin by stating that nobody can rise above their concept of God. Nobody. That God for us is the highest ideal and the greatest example. And if we, if we uh, fail at, at understanding who really God is, we'll absolutely suffer in every way because of that lack of understanding, because, because we are like God. We need to know what God is like, and so because that will inform us of what we are like. And if our view of God is skewed in some way, then we're going to, to have everything else skewed in our life as well. It's because we are made in his image and his likeness. And so as we approach what we believe today about the Trinity, it is exceedingly important that you know that we're talking about who God is in his very essence and nature and how that and why that matters and how that informs us, that everything is connected to our understanding of God. There's nothing more important than to answer these questions. Who is God? Uh, who do I believe in? Who do I worship? When I die, who will I anticipate when I see him? So at the first, let's start with the word Trinity. The word is used in an effort to summarize like the totality of the biblical teaching regarding who God is. So if you're following along in your outline that we provided for you online, we'll begin with a simple definition. The Trinity is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who eternally exists as three distinct persons. Now, by persons, I mean that they think, they speak, they feel, and they act. We're not talking about human persons, though, like God is not a man, though the Bible does say that God became a man. We know that, the Lord Jesus, we'll get into that in just a moment. But the Spirit is not a person insofar as, as the Spirit is not a human being. But He is a person insofar that He thinks and acts and feels and speaks. God is a person, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are fully and equally, who fully and equally share divine attributes of all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, yet they are one God. So I'm going to start unpacking this for you, and I'm really excited about this series, and I hope there is more than two of us that share in my joy. And uh, so if you're following along in your notes, uh, the first essential truth is this that we believe that there is only one God. That's the big, that's a big thing we're gonna tackle right now. That we believe that there is only one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God. I know that's a mouthful, but 
<clears throat> but there is, that, that's what we want to tackle here, is that there is one God. From the Bible, from, from beginning to end, is, it affirms that, that there is one true God. Now, a lot of people will say, but what about other gods, other religions, other ideologies and perspectives? Uh, we're going to deal with that in a minute, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, you got that verse? The Bible says that the Lord is God, there is no one besides him. And then, King, and then King David confessed this, that you alone are God. In Isaiah, we read, God says, before me, God, <clears throat> before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. I am the Lord. This is God. There is no other besides me. There is no God. And then we read in the New Testament that God is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. And then Timothy couldn't make it, or Paul couldn't make it more clear in 1 Timothy 2. He says, there is one God. That's it. That's it. That's what we believe as Christians, that there is one God. Now, some of you might say, but what about the other religions and other gods and other ideologies? Uh, what about those? Well, listen to what Jesus says in John 17, 3. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. You see here, the, the, uh, 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 the, the presumption is, is that there are false gods out there, and in addition to the only true God. And so we see this in the Old Testament where the nations uh, uh, who surrounded Israel at the time, they worshiped multiple gods. It is true in the New Testament as well. Paul in, in Acts 17 walks into Athens and he sees altars of all kinds of gods spread all over the city. So what about those gods? What about those? Uh, this, is, this is where our belief in a one true God becomes quite controversial. Because when we say that we believe that there is only one God, what we're saying uh, is that all other religions are false. Or worse, they're demonic and they're cults, right? Demons are real. And, and here's the thing about these demonic cults is that demons are real. They're true. They're powerful beings, fallen angels in a league with Satan. The Bible says that they masquerade like angels of light, performing counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles. You see, this is so important because a lot of people in our day and age claim to be spiritual. They claim to have had spiritual experiences. But, but apart from, you, you, you got to be careful that you're not just spiritual, that you're actually Christian. <laughs> because simply to plug into the spiritual world is potentially to plug into something demonic and evil. And it can be harmful to your soul. There's nothing new about this. The Bible shows it in both the old and the new. We read in Deuteronomy, it says that they sacrificed to demons that were not God. These Old Testament people did not believe in the God of the Bible, and they went on uh, through all sorts of spiritual rituals uh, that they did toward demons, but not to God. The, the New Testament says this. It says, what pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Good advice from the Apostle Paul, right? He says, I don't want you to participate in those things. So it's true that, that other religions do have powerful spiritual beings that they worship. They, they do have these powerful spiritual experiences, but, they don't, but their origination is not the God of the Bible. They are like demons, like Satan, who, who want you to worship them as God. And if you're just spiritual and not a Christian, you've got to be careful because you're leading yourself to somewhere that is false or worse, 
something that is demonic. I've heard it said time and time again, I'm a a spiritual person, and I've experienced uh, uh, spiritual things, powerful spiritual experiences. And I say, I believe you. I believe you because these things are real. But because I love you, I I need you to know that every spirit does not come from God. The Bible says this, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if they're from God, to see if they're from God. It goes on, it says, for for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and, in, and, is, and now is in the world already. You see, it's very controversial, but it's true. There are many gods. People worship all kinds of gods, and, and it could even be very frightening and demonic. But the conclusion here is that there is one true God, and that is an essential truth of ours because all other gods are false and they're leading people astray. This is the doctrine that we need to have when we're talking to people who say, yeah, I'm spiritual. What do you mean by that? Test the spirits and see if it comes from God. The doctrine of the Trinity is the way that theologians have articulated this truth, this truth that God is one. It's also a way that they articulated that that God exists in three distinct persons. So let's discover what God says about that and what the Bible, how we come to that conclusion. And this is in our next essential truth, number two. That we believe that God is our Father. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul describes God as Father. Here, let's read it. It says, Although there may be so called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, Christians, there is one God, and he calls him Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. Jesus describes God as Father in in John chapter 6, and I'm not going to belabor this point because virtually everyone agrees that that the Father is God throughout the Bible. In In the history of the world, there's been a ton of heresies and false teachings, but I cannot find one significant one that has denied God as Father. Yeah, like even the heretics get that one right. Uh, but, but the second member of the Trinity is much more widely debated and, and much more controversial. And that leads us to the next essential truth, that we believe that Jesus is God. One of the greatest places that we see that, that, that Jesus is God is in John chapter 1. Let me read it to you. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that made that was made. And then we jump down to verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's interesting. In our opening scriptures, we read that God spoke and, and, and said, let there be light, and there was light. And now here, John describes Jesus as that spoken word. Look at, look at Genesis 1 again, and we'll see where we can see the Trinity right in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God, we're talking about Father, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the, 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 the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, there's a Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, there it is, the Word, Jesus, the Son, let there be light, and there was light, and it was very 
good. And so we see the Trinity in the first uh, sentence of the uh, first chapter of, the, of Genesis. So Jesus, the word that had spoken in the beginning, and he was with God and he was God, he became the God-man, Jesus Christ, who dwelt among us. I'll give you a few more. John 8 says this, truly, Jesus speaking here, says, truly, truly, I say to you, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, now this doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you read on the next verse, the religious leaders in that day who were present there took up stones getting ready to kill Jesus because this was blasphemy. Uh, elsewhere in, in the scriptures, Jesus' critics, he, Jesus asks his critics, he says, why do you seek to put me to death? And they declare, because you, a mere man, claim to be who? God. The whole reason why Jesus died is because he kept saying that he was God. And saying before I was, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying that he is the God of the Old Testament, that he preexisted Abraham. He's saying, I am Abraham's God. And then he says, I am. This comes from Exodus 3.14, where, where God showed up and, and spoke to Moses. And Moses said, hey, who should, who should I say has sent me? And then God says, tell them I am sent you. And so Jesus is telling these, these guys that I am the I am. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Moses. And they said, okay, well, we're going to kill you for saying that because it's blasphemy. Only God could say that. Additionally, in John 20, Thomas got it right. Thomas, after seeing Jesus risen from the dead, he fell down. Do you remember what he said? He said, my Lord and my God. He declared Jesus as Lord and God. In Romans 9, 5, uh, it describes Jesus Christ as God over all. And in Titus 2, 13, uh, <clears throat> speaks of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we believe that there is one God and he exists as Father and as Son. And then the third member of the Trinity, which is a bit controversial too, leads us to the next essential truth. That we believe the Holy Spirit is God and not an impersonable force. And not an impersonable force. So the first thing I want you to, to know about the Holy Spirit is that it's a he and not an it. If you think the Holy Spirit is an it, then you might think that the Holy Spirit is this impersonable force that we can wield or pull out and, and, and use. But, but the Holy Spirit is a person. By person, I mean that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, the Bible says. Ephesians 4.30 says that, and, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Like a, a force cannot be grieved. Like a gravity, for example, cannot be grieved. But a person can be. Additionally, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. The Bible says, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Part of the working of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of their sin. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and informs us and instructs us, enables us, empowers us, and we can resist all that. And he says, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. We can fight him, we can reject him, but you can only do that to a person. You can't do that to a force. In Hebrews 10, it says the Holy Spirit can be insulted. It says, how, how worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who tramples underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit, capital S, of grace. So the Holy Spirit can be outraged, have this feeling, this emotion 
not a force. Like you can't insult electricity, but you can insult a person with feelings. The Holy Spirit is a person with feelings and is outraged when we tell lies and promote false doctrine. That's what Hebrews 10 says. I'll give you two more places in, in the New Testament uh, that shows the Holy Spirit is God, and then, and then we'll get to why this really matters. Like brass tacks, why does this matter to us? And so the first one is in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to, of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. And then the last example comes from Acts 5. Uh, Peter is the pastor of this church. There are church members, Ananias and Sapphira. They are a couple. They sold some property, and, and they, they made a pledge. They made a promise, a vow to God that they would give all the proceeds to the property to the church for the work of ministry. And when they, <clears throat> when they actually went to go do that, they decided to not give all the money that they had promised, and they kept some back. And here's what Peter said to them. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? Peter, Peter says that the Holy Spirit is a person that can be lied to. So this is the conclusion that we come to, that we have one God, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit who exist in three distinct persons and that's how we have uh, uh, arrived to the doctrine of the Trinity. One of the most beautiful uh, descriptions of God, one of my favorite descriptions of God comes from 1 John 4, 8, which is this, that God is love. And this is super important to understanding God. Because when we say God is Trinity, we are saying God is love. And that leads us to the next essential truth. That to say God is Trinity is to say God is love because in the very essence and nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is love. This is the foundation of who God is. Within the, within the very Trinity, the nature of God is this perfect love relationship, this friendship, this harmony, this unity, and this communication we see this exhibited in, G, in, in, in John chapter 3 where it says the Father loves the Son. And then, and then Jesus reciprocates that in John 14 and says, and I love the Father. And then, and then we get to, he extends his love to us when, in John 15 when it says, and that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he says, abide in that love. You see, God is love. And when we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about love. And Jesus wants us to really focus in and dive in to see what this love is really all about. It's the, it, the reason why it's so important is because you and I are made in the image and likeness of God to be loved and to love others. And apart from God, we really have no idea what true love is. We will not understand love until we go to the source of love, which is the Trinitarian God of the Bible, who is, in fact, love at his core. And we see how the Trinity operates and then we'll know what true love is and what it really looks like. And why does this matter? And why does this matter to us? Why is this an essential belief of ours? Well, that leads us to the first uh, thing here. We believe that there is no life apart from the connection to the Trinity. 
Let me go back to my original statement that, that each of us have a deep, like profound, passionate longing that we, we need to be loved, that we need relationships, that, that we want and, and need communication. And none of this can be satisfied apart from the Trinity. It's interesting, the Bible says that we are not battling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spirits. Satan and demons are at work in this world trying to get us to believe in and worship someone and something else other than the God of the Bible. And, we want, and what we want for you, because we love you, is a Trinitarian life, a, a relationship with this Trinity. That leads us to the next essential truth that we believe that we are brought into a right relationship with God and others through the Trinity. You see, this is so important because sin separates us from God. Jesus reconciles us back to a loving relationship with the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the one who initiates all of that. He applies the work of Jesus in our lives. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for a Savior, and then he gives us the gift of repentance and faith Applying the atoning work of Jesus Christ in our life, cleansing us of all of our sins, adopting us as sons and daughters of Christ. And at that moment that we repent and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our bodies. Like that's mind-blowing, like he actually lives in us. And then the Holy Spirit becomes our source of life and love, empowering us to live like Christ lived and love like Christ loved. It's, it's fascinating to think about. And apart from this Trinitarian life, there is no life. We're only brought into a right relationship with God and others we can, because of the Trinity. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, through, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, the Father, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, the Father. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we can be transformed and become the righteousness of God. There's something supernatural happening here, and God wants us to be his ambassadors here. God, the Holy Spirit, enables us to live this Trinitarian life through the, by the Spirit, through the Son, to the glory of the Father. This is the, this is a, all of life is a Trinitarian life. So what does it really mean uh, to live this Trinitarian life? The next essential truth is this, that we believe the Trinitarian life is loving. Now, we've already touched about this, but <clears throat> there's, a, there's, there's some that would say that we don't need the finer points of doctrine. Uh, that we could just love one another. And I say, unless you know who love is and, and, and where love comes from and what love is, how are you going to really truly love as God called us to love? I mean, there are guys sleeping with their girlfriend today calling it love. That's not love. That's not Trinitarian love. Trinitarian love is, is for the well-being, for the honoring, for the serving, for the cherishing of the other, not for the using of them. The Bible says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And now listen, here's the definition of that. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. This is what love is. 
This is a Trinitarian love. Uh, uh, the Trinity loves perfectly and fully, and, and, and the Trinity is a life of loving one another. The next essential truth and the final one for today is this, is that we believe that the Trinitarian life is communal. That uh, God says in the, in the beginning in, in Genesis 2 that it is not good that man should be alone. You see, the fact that the Trinity is three yet one shows us something. That the Trinity in itself is a community. Isolation is not what God intends. Relationship, community, friendship, connection, that's what God intends because that's who God is. And we're made in the same image and likeness as God God is a loving relational community, and it's not good for us to be alone. When Jesus was on the cross, God turned his back upon Jesus, and Jesus was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was this separation that just brought him so much anguish, and we should understand that, that we too are communal beings, that we are made to be in with one another, unified as one, just as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one. We, too, are called to be one. Now, we love you, and we want the best life for you here at Encounter. And my concern is, it's not a fear, but it is definitely a concern, especially considering the times that we live in, that those of you who, who call Encounter home are not members of this church. That you, heck, you might even be totally disconnected from the Trinitarian God of the Bible, and the first thing that you need to do is become a Christian today. Confess your faith and confess your sin and, and repent of your sin. Confess your faith in Jesus and be connected to the source of life, the Trinitarian God of the Bible. And then some of you are totally disconnected from us as a church. There's a couple of ways that we want you to get connected. Tim mentioned this in the announcements. Uh, first is relationally, that we want to get to know you in community groups. Uh, we are going to start community groups up next week. <clears throat> community groups are the outward expression of what it means to live a Trinitarian life, where we are together, unified, loving one another and caring for one, for one another, serving one another. Uh, normally, people get together in homes where they live and love and know one another and live this Trinitarian life. But during this pandemic, we have had to think of creative ways to do that. But we still are meeting as a community. Practically and relationally, we want you to get connected through community groups. And then formally, we want you to get connected through membership. We want you to, to, become, we want you to become a member of Encounter Church and participate in the, in, in the life of the church in a vital way as a member of this extended family. We have a link on our website that you can sign up for our one-on-one class. That's the first step to become a member of our, of our church. And if not, our concern is that you will remain isolated. It is super easy in this context to remain isolated. Uh, we don't want you to be lonely. We want you to live the Trinitarian life. The Trinitarian life is, is together as God's people, and they call that the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you created the perfect plan by which we can be saved. You sent your Son Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and lived without sin to die in our place for our sins on the cross and to rise for our salvation. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that, that, you, have sent, you, that you were sent to save us, God, and, and regenerate our hearts and transform us and, and to some measure begin to live this Trinitarian life. That joy, God, is... is 
is, is at the center of what we desire here, and, and the Trinitarian life is where that is found. Father God, may, may we honor your Son by the power of your Spirit together in community, living Trinitarian lives. And God, we know that this is only possible by your Spirit. So Spirit, we humbly request your enabling of our life. This is only possible through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you are a living high priest an intercessor, and an advocate right now, Lord God. And this should be only done for the glory of the Father. And Father, so we glorify you, we honor you, we respect you, we adore you, we enjoy you today. As we continue to worship, Lord, I pray that you will be glorified in this place. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.